Have you ever been misunderstood? Let me rephrase the question. Have you ever been married? <laughs> Amen. There we go. Um, I've laughed through the years uh, at couples that have come back to me, and I, I get the same line. Any couple that I've done six months of premarital counseling for and then the, done the wedding, I, I usually get them come back, coming back to me in one to two, three years, and I get the same line. You didn't tell us about this. And I laugh. I'm like, oh, I did, but you are so Twitter-pated that you had no clue what I really meant. Because, because someone's like, oh, Pastor, you never brought this up. And I look at, and their spouse is like, he actually talked about that. Um, but I love talking to new couples. And if you're newer um, in terms of being married at the church and we've had a chance to have a conversation, I most likely have asked you my question, which is, what do you know now? I ask you guys that. What do you know now that you wish you would have known before you got married? And the number one answer is, I had no clue how much our upbringing would come into play. We misunderstood how much I was going to be more like my mom or more like my dad or how we fought in a house, how I was going to bring that into this house. I misunderstood what we were bringing to the table. Oh, misunderstandings. It's the spice of marriage. And misunderstandings, uh, to me, if you don't have one in your marriage, I, I, I want to know if you're a robot or not because we have misunderstandings that take place. And misunderstandings in marriage are not the sign that you, are, you have a broken marriage. It's a sign that you have a real marriage because misunderstandings become the place where we really see the presence and the power of God work through our marriage. And if there is a topic that I think is misunderstood when it comes to Scripture, and I would say this, next to salvation, it could be the most critical topic to talk about in church. So it is perhaps the most critical outside of salvation and the most misunderstood. It is the topic of unity. Because when we hear unity, we hear Pastor Dave just wants us to be lemmings. I do not want you to be lemmings. This is not a cult for which you all have to look alike, talk alike, act alike. Um, you, you, you may not have every single political view lined up with everybody else. Can I just encourage you? That's okay here. Um, I thought I might get one amen there. Um, you don't have to all wear suits and dresses all of the time. Oh, I see. We've got revival breaking out. Um, I'm telling you, my, after my first year, somebody pulled me aside because I was in like dress pants and dress shoes and a collar. Someone pulled me aside and said, Pastor, I've been praying for you to loosen up. And then a few weeks later, I wore jeans and I got people pulling me aside, Pastor, I'm praying that you would return to what Jesus would want for this church. I'm like, I can't win at all. And then I got tattoos and I think I lost that person. But and then again, but misunderstandings. Paul talks about this idea of unity because he recognizes the necessity of it in the body of Christ. Unity, let me make sure I say from the beginning, and you'll hear me say it a few times, does not mean uniformity. We're not meant to be cookie cutters of each other. We're meant to walk and to develop the heart of Jesus and his person in our life. In fact, I might say it this way. Uh, I believe in happy marriages and healthy marriages, but you never arrive there. You're on the journey for that. Unity is no different. I don't know if we ever achieve full unity, but so it's not about what we're trying to achieve. It's what we're trying to be. Because without church unity, the church itself, us, we spend more time fighting with each other than we actually spend fighting the devil. We spend more time attacking each other than actually attacking the works of darkness. God's heart is always unity. The devil's heart is always divisiveness. He wants to divide. 
And when we as a body of Christ, and let me, we're just going to talk about K-first here as we are part of the body of Christ, that if we don't learn how to walk in unity and have a heart after unity, if we don't learn that, it's a loss. It's a loss for the church. It's a loss for the community. It's a loss for the kingdom of God. I, I don't think I've ever prayed, God, close that church. I don't think I've ever prayed that because I just, that's just never my heart to see a church close its doors. But I've seen one too many churches close their doors, not based upon the issue of like sin of adultery or the, uh, the sin of stealing or uh, the sin of uh, cheering for the Dallas Cowboys or anything like that. I've never seen churches close their doors, but what I have seen close their doors is the thing of disunity. Breaking apart the foundation. Because unity itself, it's... It's not something that we should ever take for granted because I believe unity, like everything, is a gift from God. I love the scripture in 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12 says, um, The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. NIV says that God gave them unity of mind to carry out what God had put upon the leadership's heart. God wanted to give people unity, and he wants to give us unity. And when it comes to us, um, when God wants to work in our hearts, what does he do? He draws us together. Now, I will admit that when God draws people together, people can irritate each other. But those irritating and misunderstood moments are not opportunities to push each other away. Those are opportunities for us to work through and to be the healthier body of Christ. Your marriage doesn't get healthy just by facing an obstacle. It's about pushing through. It's about pushing through and getting ourselves healthy. Because if unity is a gift from God, it is ours, it's our responsibility. It's your responsibility to be an agent of unity. I should have titled this message, Agent of Unity. I should have. The title is Together in Joy. But we should have talked about us as agents of unity in the body of Christ. And let's just be real. Over the past year and a half, I don't think we as the body of Christ have shined well in our unity. I think we've spent too much time bickering amongst each other, fighting with each other, fighting with other churches, other denominations, Instead of just being the body that God has called us to be. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, would you let the words of these mouth, this mouth here. Lord, let them be your words this morning. That you would help all of our hearts, God. Help this person in this pulpit. That we would be humble and seek your face. And help call our hearts to a mode of unity. That we would see your joy flourish in your church that you said that you would build. Help us to be people that would walk in unity so that together we would be in the joy of serving Jesus together. So Lord, bless this time. Bless this a day that we've got and melt the snow soon. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, let's talk about joy. Let's talk about this idea of unity because I believe that unity grows our joy. And the way that we grow it is by working in it. In fact, that's why Paul, the same writer that wrote the book of Philippians, he wrote the church in Ephesus and he says this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, make every effort, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. What he doesn't say is, hey pastors, Make it your job to make sure everybody likes each other. Let me just tell you, most of you are okay with me and the others of you tolerate me, so I can't even get you to fully like me. But when it comes to each other, 
I can't make you like people. Well, pastor, I'll love them, but I won't like them. Let me just be real this morning here. Can you imagine Jesus ever saying that about any one of us in the house? Well, I, like, I love Dave. I just don't like him all that much. But, you, but Paul says, through the inspiration of the Spirit, make every effort. And then he later writes to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says this, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace. It doesn't say as far as there's agreement between you, or as far as you guys see eye to eye. He says, no, as far as it depends upon you, to be at peace. There is this onus on the issue of unity that Paul is trying to get across to us in multiple books of the Bible, especially in the book of Philippians, that God has given us a gift. It's time for us to tend to that gift. So Philippians 2, verses uh, 1 through 4 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul gives this snippet, and I had to cut this message in half and, and take next week and put it into ne next week um, because I just wanted to focus on unity today because Paul, all of a sudden in the first verse, he gives some modes that we can get in to help us with unity. Because how many of you know, Christ has done so much for us, the least we can do is actually live out that which he prayed about in John chapter 17 when he said, may they be one, may they be one as Father, you and I are one. And so Paul makes an argument, and he's like, listen, we, have to, we should give the Lord unity because we have to look at what he's done for us, and that compels us to do something. So look at verse 1, it says this. So if there is any encouragement... Now, if you've got your scripture journals, because I've got highlighted, I put, I put blue on Greek stuff here. Um, circle those words, if there's any. If there is any. Because that's an important thing in the Greek language. I'm going to teach you a little Greek translation here. You can actually translate that to literally mean, if you have, and you do, if you have any encouragement, and you do, or it could be translated this way. Since you have this, or because you have this, Paul is trying to say is, listen, I know you've got encouragement from Christ because that's who he is. So if you have that, do something about it. If you have any encouragement from Christ, you can do this. If you have any comfort, if you have fellowship, if you have any compassion, any affection for one another, and you have it, how does he know you have it? Because Jesus has already given it to you. Walk in unity. If you need a great read this week on the subject of unity, go to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalms 133, and I'll give it to you in a nutshell. It says this, that where there is unity, God commands his blessing. I don't know about you. I want K-First to have the commanded blessing of God. I mean, that's what we say about our marriage. We've said this for years. People say, do you need Ann's permission to do this? Do you need Dave's permission to do this? We've said this for years about our marriage. We don't need each other's permission to do anything, but we need each other's unity. Because there, we have the commanded blessing of God. In fact, I wrote it this way. Unity commands the blessing of God. Why? Because God blesses, which demonstrates who he is. God can't bless disunity. 
God doesn't bless disunity because it doesn't reflect who he is. But when we have a heart after unity, and listen, I, my heart is always unity, and sometimes I fail at it, but God blesses that which reflects who he is and demonstrates who he is. And if we want the commanded blessing of God, we've got to be a people that strive for unity because we are the body of Christ. Now, if you're new to Christianity and you've never heard that terminology, uh, Jesus, he's the head. We are the body. The church is the body, and what the body is, is the simple visual representation of who he is on this earth. That's why it's important to walk in unity. That's why it's important to begin to search after Christ and to follow after Christ. It's because we are the body. And so look at the things Paul says. Paul says, listen, if you've had any encouragement from the Lord, and I know you do, the word encouragement means, it's the word paraclesis or paraclete. It means to come alongside. If God has come alongside of you, then you've got the ability to be united with each other. I'm so glad that we're not alone in this journey. I'm so glad that we're not alone, that God doesn't stand far off. I'm so glad that we serve a God that is just as close as the mention of his name. I'm so glad that we serve a God whose arm is not so short that he cannot reach us. I'm so glad that when we call upon God that he answers. I love the scripture says that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you thankful that God is ready and willing to interact and reach down and help us at any point? That's the word paraclete. That's the encouragement. He comes alongside and Paul says, if God has come alongside of you, the least you can do is be a unifying factor. Secondly, he says, if you've received, and I know you have, comfort from the love of God. That word in the Greek language means to be uplifted or to be picked up in order to move forward. And Paul's like, if you've ever felt God's love, have you ever been in a service, and I hope it's today, have you ever been in a service where you're singing a song or you're having a moment and you just feel the closeness of God's presence? Have you ever been in a car and maybe you're playing a worship song and all of a sudden you just start getting overwhelmed and you just feel the closeness of God? There's just something about feeling his closeness. This is what Paul's talking about. If you have, and I know you have, received comfort, the closeness then you need to be an agent of unifying. Number three, if you've had fellowship with the Spirit, the word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. It means partnership and connection. And what he's saying is this, is that the Holy Spirit has brought a connection into our life. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about that we are the body of Christ in the original language. Now we take it as I am, I am the temple of, of God. I've got the Spirit in me, and that's true. Just in case anybody was worried. You, if you profess Christ, you've got the Spirit of God living in you. But what Paul writes to the church, he says, he says that actually in the Greek language it's plural. You all together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So often we take that and we, we think about ourselves. We need to stop thinking about ourselves and realizing the reason why we walk in unity and we treat one another well is we have to look and say, we together are the body. We together are the temple. And if we're the temple, the Spirit of God is here. So therefore, we have to operate in a way that facilitates that unity. And then fourthly, he says, if you have any affection or sympathy. Here's one of my favorite words. Uh, we also get the word tenderness and compassion. The word affection or tenderness is the, is the Greek word spinekta. It means bowels. How amazing is that? Mind blown. Wow. <laughs> So Paul is saying, if you have any bowels and compassion, 
Yes. And the reason why Paul says this is because in this ancient culture, the seat of your emotion was not your heart. It was your bowels, your intestines, your innards. That was why. Um, have you ever gotten news that just made you sick? Have you ever heard, got news and you lost your appetite? In the ancient times, they, when those moments happened, they, 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 they lost their appetite or they got antsy, they got anxious. Uh, maybe their stomach hurt from, from, from a moment. When the emotions gripped them, they immediately thought, well, the seat of the emotion is the bowels. And so that's why Paul says that when it comes to dealing with one another, you got to feel it from deep down. There should be tenderness. There should be affection for one another. And the idea that if, if you have felt the tenderness and compassion from God, that you ought to flow in that. And not just flow in that, but that compassion should flow into mercy. We said this last week. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. But mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. Have you ever been a recipient of mercy? Some of you didn't, didn't amen. Y'all need to ask God to give you a revelation of mercy. I remember the day. I, I know I probably talked about this before. The, it would have been the last time my dad ever spanked me. My, my, sorry, my dad laid hands on me. That's the Christian way to say it. And I will never forget. We're just halfway through our mobile home. And he stopped me. And he w went to SWAT. And to the life of me, I don't know what happened. I believe it was the spirit of God. I jumped straight up in the air. Like, chin -in 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 -in, up in the air. <laughs> He went underneath me, I landed and ran to my room, and he didn't come after me. I think he was just amazed at my athleticism in the moment and gave me the cred. I don't know what I did that day, but I know me well enough, I deserve to be smacked on the rear end. But he didn't come after me. You know what that is? That's mercy. When we don't get what we ought to get. And when I look at the cross, I see what... God has given me that I didn't deserve, and I see that which God withheld and put upon Jesus that I did not, that I should have had myself. And this is the mode, Paul says. He says, listen, I'm going to list off some things that I, you may not think you have, but you have because of Jesus, but it's okay because it's through him you're going to discover unity. So the question is, how do we find unity? I'm glad you've asked me that question. So in these last few moments, let me give you just a quick List. It is non-exhaustive. It, you can find other things, but Paul, for this church in Philippi, he lists off a handful of things. So if you're taking notes or you've got your scripture journals, write, write down number one, write down the words, be like-minded. Verse two, complete my joy. Look at Paul talking about joy. Make me joyful by being of the same mind. He wanted them to be unified in their thinking. Paul knew unity was important. That's why Paul writes about unity. Get this. Paul writes about it in the book of Romans. He writes it down in the book of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He writes it down in uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Paul, in most of the books that he writes in the Bible, he hits on unity. Why? Because he knows that a church without unity is drifting toward death. You want to kill a church? Seed disunity. You want to kill a church? Talk about gossip. Confront gossip. I've had, man, for 12 years I've had people say, hey, my friend was kind of talking about our church and she said this about you. I'm like, I don't, know, I don't want to know who it is, but you need to go back to her. You need to tell her what it's doing to you. 
Because it's killing the body of Christ. We've got to be headed in the same direction. And that's what the scripture is talking about. Because God's family, God's family is not marked by uniformity. God's family is marked by unity in the midst of great diversity. I celebrate diversity in the body of Christ. I celebrate that God's, that the body of Christ is not confined to a nation. It's not confined to a skin color. It's not confined to an economic status. It's not confined to geography. I am so thankful that the body of Christ has diversity. I honestly, I celebrate denominations because there's some people that want a pastor who doesn't yell from the pulpit. I, some people want somber worship. Some people want exciting and, and boisterous worship. Can I tell you, one is not better than the other because it's all worshiping Jesus. As long as it's all about Jesus, it's worth it. It's okay to have diversity in the body. In fact, we are part of the Assemblies of God. It's a fellowship or what you might call a denomination. And it's headquarters in uh, Springfield, Missouri. That's where I went to Bible college. And we were, this is so funny. We had to go to Sunday morning, Sunday night church. And every Monday morning we filled out a scantron to say which church we went to. Some of you are like, thank God pastor doesn't do that on Mondays. Did you show up this Sunday morning? No, no. And we had, now get this, in the city of Springfield, the city of 200,000 people. It's got nine colleges, so it's a huge college town. In the midst of it, we had minimally 60, I remember, 60 Assemblies of God churches in just that city. Nowadays, there's actually 96 Assemblies of God churches. Can I just say, we have one Springfield, Missouri. We have covered it. But the beauty about being in that city is we didn't attack each other. We were just part of the body of Christ. And there was no favorite church over another church or better church over this church. God loves variety. And I, I would garner that God has no issue with denominations, but he does have an issue when we start worshiping denominations. We've got to be a people after Jesus. As long as we are centered on Jesus, I don't, I don't care about differences. We have to be centered on Jesus. We have to be after Jesus. We've got to be people of the scriptures. We can't call things that aren't sin... Um, we can't call things that aren't sin, sin. And we can't call things that are sinful, not sin. We've got to be about Jesus. We've got to learn to look for the lost and to look for the broken. We've got to be all about Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to find the perfect church. I've, anybody who's ever said this to me, Pastor, we've just got the perfect marriage. Number one, I am all suspect about you right now. <laughs> you know what people, when they say they got the perfect marriage, you know what that means? Most of the things about my spouse I like. Most. And with people with churches, when you find your church, it doesn't mean you found everything you like. It means that most of the things that you liked about that church, that's your church. And when people leave the church, it means that at least 51% of the things going on at the church they don't like. It's all about building the body and being like-minded. Number two, got to get through this. Number two, we have to have a same love. Be of the same mind, having the same love. The idea is that we have to walk in God's love and walk in a way that, that accentuates and expresses his love. I came across this a long time ago, and I don't know who to give credit to, so it's either Abraham Lincoln or C.S. Lewis. That's everything on the Internet. But I love this statement. Love is the accurate assessment and the adequate supply of another's need. Love is the adequate, accurate estimate and the adequate supply of another's need. How much had God loved us? He had an accurate estimate that we were all sinners on a road to hell. And what he did was he gave us the adequate supply for what we needed for salvation. 
How do you love the people around you? How can we love our city? It's when we walk around and we take an accurate estimate of, of who people are and how deserving of love they are, and we ask ourselves, how can we adequately supply the love in their life so that they can see Jesus in me? The goal is not to make people look like us. The goal is to love people in the same manner that Jesus loved us. What, what if we just stop taking accurate estimates of how much we don't like individuals around us and what if we actually start looking around us and say, God, open my eyes and to begin to estimate where people are hurting, where people are broken, who's missing from the body of Christ, who's missing from heaven. And what if, what if we begin to bombard Kalamazoo with the adequate supply of the love of Jesus so that everybody can say, we have truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Number three, Paul says this, be one in purpose and spirit. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. That's what it's talking about. It's one in purpose and spirit. I love the book of Acts. It's so amazing. It's a great book. After Philippians, read the book of Acts. And it's said that the early church were one. The Greek word for one is the, is the Greek word homothumadon. Don't ask me to say that again. And what it means this, it means they had the same temperature. Not 96.7. Is that the right one? 98.8? Some of you are like, don't ever be my doctor, Pastor Dave. <laughs> 98.7. Whatever that is, be the same temperature. <laughs> when we walk with that oneness of spirit, we walk in a way that says we will be the same temperature. We operate with the same passion. What are we passionate about at K-First? You heard it today. That we want to make it simple for people to find and to follow Jesus. I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more than help people find Jesus. We're not called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. And help people follow after Jesus. I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about being in the scriptures. I'm passionate about diving down and letting the scriptures shape us. And letting, instead of letting us shape the scriptures. I'm passionate about worship. I'm passionate about people that just diving into the presence of God. I'm passionate about people being encountered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm passionate about people getting into prayer. And letting prayer begin to shape their lives. And the Spirit of God gets a hold of people in their prayer times. I'm passionate about the law. I've had people say, we got to get this person back from this church and this person back from this church. I'm here to say, how about we stop getting people back from other churches and let's get people back from the gates of hell where they're headed to and begin to draw them to Jesus. Let's get people back. I am so passionate about the lost. I am passionate about people that have no adequate witness of Jesus. Because some people, they're only adequate of Christians as Christians fighting with each other on Facebook. They need to be, we need to be of one spirit and one purpose. i got to keep going. Um, number four, we need to be unselfish. Do nothing, verse three, from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing. Don't be, don't be selfish. Uh, the word vain conceit in the Greek language means it glorifies you. Well, pastor, if I serve somewhere, what if nobody sees? It doesn't matter. It's a song, I think, Casting Crowns or, or Abraham Lincoln or somebody sang it. Um, we, sing, we, we, we live for an audience of one. We live for an audience of one. You want to see greater growth in our kids' ministry? Serve. You want to see growth in their prayer ministry? 
serve. You want to see growth in our, our first impressions, which is, which is uh, greeting at the doors? Serve. I don't think there's an excuse for anybody to not serve. Why do we serve? Because it's not about us. And every time we serve, we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to ask the question, why? It was a handful of months ago that somebody gave me an envelope. They just wanted to bless me and my wife. I remember opening up the envelope and the, and the, and the little note on it said, I just wanted to do this for my pastor. Don't ask why and don't say thank you, just receive. That touched my heart so much because how many of us were looking for the thank yous and we're looking for the notes, but we, everything we do at this church, we do for the audience of one. Which leads me to number five, humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I've heard it said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. You don't have to beat up yourself. But it's thinking of yourself a little bit less. God works in humility. You want me to help you be humble this morning? Oh, please, Pastor. That's exactly why we showed up today. And I'm going to need a keyboard so someone to come up so I'll shut up here. Let me help you be humble. Who's the biggest sinner that you know without pointing fingers? Hey, I said no pointing fingers. <laughs> I saw you. Who's the biggest sinner you know? You know what? In fact, I'm going to tell you who it is. The biggest sinner you know is you. Because who else do you know the thoughts and motives of their life? The secret sins and the past sins, the brokenness and the junk. Who else do you know that well? Well, pastor, that doesn't make me feel all that good. I'm okay with that because that keeps me humble and it helps me to look at other people and to see them, not in the light of their, are they just as bad as me? It helps me to be humble before the Lord so that I can serve other people and be humble enough to lean into them. I love it. Paul, who wrote this, wrote in the book of 1 Timothy, he wrote this, I am the chief of sinners. And I'm just going to be honest, if Paul says that, none of us can stand in this room. But he says this, I'm the chief of sinners, but I'm also one who Jesus died for. That keeps us humble. Lastly, number six, and I'll shut up here. Write down the word, care for others. Let each of you, verse four, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But Pastor Dave, it's all about self-care. It's all about self-care. Listen, I believe in caring for yourself. But if we're caring for ourselves in order just to feel better, that's called selfishness. But self-care is true self-care when we want to be poured into in order for God to use us to pour out to somebody around us. That's what self-care is supposed to be. Jesus pours in that we would pour out. He pours in that he would pour out. And we, and we have a tendency in this world to think life is all about us, or it may be even, it could be even worse, to think that, why try? Because I'm so insignificant. I love the message paraphrase of this. This is what Eugene Peterson translates out of 2 verse 4. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Let yourself go in the sense of 
Let go of your selfishness and just lend a hand to somebody. Well, Pastor Dave, I just don't think that I'm going to make, I, I don't volunteer because what am I going to do? Who am I? But let me encourage you this morning that the ocean is made up of small molecules of water. But when brought together, it, it covers 70% of this earth, most of which has never been explored. It's just because the small came together and created something great. Why should you go on kfirst.org slash teams and sign up to be First Impressions? I believe that every single person that comes to this church, that once every two to three months, you should be serving at a back door, just greeting and smiling. Unless you can't smile, then we need you to serve someplace else. I believe everyone should go to kfirst.org slash teams, sign up to be involved in First Impressions. I believe that whether you've got kids or no kids, I believe once every few months, two months, three months, you should serve down in nursery and preschool. Pastor Dave, are you willing to do it? I'm willing to do it. As long as you're willing to have someone else preach, I'll do it. We've got to be willing to step in and step up and care for people that are not us. Because I believe if we look at ourselves as agents of unity, and we build the body of Christ. We reach people. Do you know what we're going to experience in this place? Joy. When you see people come to Jesus because somebody invited them. And not only did somebody invite them, but when they walked in the door, somebody greeted them with a smile. Somebody spoke life into them. And somebody ran sound so that the words of worship could be heard. And then somebody sang into the, the microphone so that that worship maybe would maybe kind of soften and touch their hearts. Some guy would get up and just share something from the scripture. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God takes everything that has taken place and begins to do a transformative work and draws them to Jesus. Let me tell you, when we come together and we care for others and we do this thing together, we build a body. And when people begin to give their hearts to Jesus, the unity of the body takes place and joy is present. We want joy in this place. We, we gotta be unified. Would you take Philippians this week and would you pick one thing that you can work on this week? One thing in Philippians chapter one, verses uh, chapter two, verses one through four. And don't tell me that you don't have the capacity to do it because the scripture says, listen, Paul says, listen, here's what you've received from Christ and I know you received it. It's time to walk in it and to live in it. Would you bow your heads with me?